This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The following program includes themes of sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. What is the world like today for the people who are frequently shocked, challenged and been at the forefront of changes that many see as outrageous? Are the rainbow people still changing their world for the better? I'm Malcolm Angus. Welcome to Outrageous, the program that investigates, supports and advocates for the rainbow people of New Zealand. Good day, listeners. This is Malcolm Angus with The Outrageous Show on 105.4 FM. And today I'm really privileged to be continuing a conversation that I began last week with Michael Chamberlain, who manages male survivors in South Dunedin. And this service is for any man who experienced abuse as a child and is struggling with damage that has done to that person. And that damage can come out at any time in that person's life. It never goes away. Uh, It needs to be dealt with, though, and it can be assisted. And Michael's service is here to assist people manage that damage so that they can live a life possibly as fulfilled as possible. Welcome back again, Michael. I'm so pleased that you're here. Um, Thank you, Mel. Now, we were talking about um, the the experience that men have and how they have historically and consistently taken years to admit that it ever happened to them and the people they eventually end up talking to are not their parents who often don't get told ever and not their best mate the experience i think michael is that they end up talking to what i would call strangers that is psychologists psychiatrists doctors social workers lifeline whoever it might be the first people that are told are often strangers in their life would that be true uh yes yes it would be and Michael is one of those men that people come to open up their hearts and their stories to. Now, Michael, what is the actual service that male survivors provides to anyone who walks through the door? Could you just talk me through the process, please? Uh, The processes and what we have to offer, uh, firstly, we have the... uh, the parameter of people coming to our service are victims of abuse. So that's all four abuses, psychological, emotional, physical or sexual. Over and above dealing directly with the men in regard to their abuse, we are also now doing a lot of work uh, which would be seen to be advocacy and even some social assistance in, in several areas which... Um, I would uh, put under the category of uh, social work. Uh, Why this has come about for us as an organisation is that time and time again, um, people end up finding out about us and then once they do, are so thrilled to be here and that comes about because there tends to be 
two or three options on any given subject for women and none for men. So that's why our service has broadened and broadened into what it is today. Now, you mentioned in in that last sentence, you talked about advocacy. At the moment, there is a Royal Commission going on in New Zealand dealing with institutionally abused children, um, but it's, it's a fairly narrow scope, isn't it? Can you just define what that commission is looking at? The Royal Commission into Abuse and Care, uh, that is currently operational for the government, is, has a parameter of dealing with or find, interviewing people of abuse in what they term as state care or faith-based care. The faith base is around any uh, church or religious society or religious group or sect. And state is reasonably obvious also. It's any government department, government institution, or any uh, government-run organisation or institution. So uh, with state and us dealing with uh, males, it is um, people in in, uh, what used to be social welfare care, um, that then changed to SIFS care and is currently Oranga Tamariki, uh, boys' homes, orphanages, schools, boarding schools in particular, uh, and then, as I say, faith-based, can be uh, religious sects or organisations such as Gloria Vale or it can be the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church. And when it comes to the faith-based, the the largest cluster of faith-based sexual abuse in New Zealand is Dunedin. Now, Michael, my reflection on this, given the information you provided in our last chat, was the time that passes before men find their voice to actually talk about this is often 30 to 40 years, which um, ironically means that many of the abusers may have died before this conversation is held. So part of the inability to heal would be to find that there is no person identified and brought towards the courts to be, if necessarily, punished. Is this part of the problem of trying to heal when there is a victim but there is no perpetrator? My answer to that would be there's a whole range of different um, reasons a man does want to talk about any of this stuff, especially the sexual abuse as opposed to physical abuse. And um, you have a group of people that definitely want to go through the court process and get redress for everything that happened. You have uh, older men that the only reason they've come forward is through the encouragement of their wife, who have only just in recent years come to terms of what the problem may be, and the wife has encouraged them to 
go forward and do work in this area. Um, and it's that's common for me to hear that their wife has said to them, I've always known there's been something, but I've never known what it is. So they have stuck by their man in marriage, but they have noticed idiosyncrasies that they could never put their finger on. Um, so this is... I'm not trying to be facile here, but is this like post-traumatic stress disorder? Is that a type of um, situation that you're dealing with? That an experience that this person had has lasted their entire life and in many ways tainted their life, tainted their ability to have open, happy, loving relationships. And there have been people in their lives that have stuck by them, always wondering what it was that maybe was a barrier between the two of them. And it is a form of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that what you're dealing with? Well, there's two things for me to cover off here. Um, There can be a whole lot of reasons, uh, different reasons. It's personal to to each person. Uh, it is very common for men to say to me, what is your program at Male Survivors Otago? What do we go to? And and I keep saying there is no program. Oh, but you must have a program. With AA, they have the 12 Steps program. What is yours? And I keep saying there is no program. It's so individualistic. And re- other reasons for um, males not to speak up or talk to their their uh, life partner they're worried about the family image they've worried about how they'll be accepted by friends or anyone else they were to mention it to and this is common for women as well um however with men there's a whole there's a whole bunch of myths around anything to do with sexual abuse one is if you're sexually abused it's highly likely you'll you'll go on to abuse and that's absolutely wrong the majority, it's only a very slight minority percent that does that. Most abused men go on to be protectors of children and other people. Um, another one is regard, regarding women and how many men are abused by women. And statistics have only recently, in recent years, been coming out on this subject. And in our latest publication we have stated that it's up to 40% of men are abused by women. Now, there's a whole range of thinking around this, um, starting with the fact it took till 1978 in New Zealand for it to be made law that a woman could be taken to court and charges against them on this subject. So everything takes time and there's a lot in it. Now, talking about what you termed about uh, from a medical point of view, have they got PTSD? Uh, Everybody, uh, or a huge majority, I should say, of people with physical and sexual abuse are deemed to have PTSD. Um, It's becoming more and more clear to me that the majority of the men I deal with, um, that with men... It is not PTSD, it is CT. I'll tell you the the differences. 
Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is described in the psychology Bible as a single traumatic event. So it can be any single event, a car accident, uh, being fired at by a gun. Um, and as I say, uh, the, the Canterbury earthquake, you were there when the buildings come down. So if you get a tremor, you'll remember that. If you hear a gun going off, you'll be, you'll be spiked with that whereas CT stands for complex trauma. And once again, these are some of the differences. It would, the majority of, abuse, of sexual abuse on a woman would be rape. Now, rape tends to happen singularly, and it tends to happen over a short period of time. Now, I'm not demising that there's other versions. If there's multiple men, or if they're locked away, they couldn't be for you know, over a year or whatever. What I'm saying is with men, the majority of sexually abused men is one, two, three, four, five years of their life. And they can be taken to multiple places, but the same places on a regular basis. So they can have all sorts of places that trigger them. They can have music going in the background that triggers them. Um, Smells and anything around them. So, as I say, that's you're getting into the area of complex trauma, yep. where these men can have five, six, seven, eight things that consistently re-traumatize them. Right. That makes it quite tough for you to provide a sense of, I suppose, what what am I going to offer as a service to this individual? So I. I take it you're going to try and find out as much as possible about the experience they've had and then you're going to offer some choices to to the individual. Is that how it works? I know how it worked with me in which you very quickly found a counsellor for me but clearly that isn't always what you want to do or the person may not want to have. So what are the choices, what are the variables that you can lay in front of somebody who's come to the service that is, in your mind, making a positive difference for them? Uh, There's big differences around how male survivors Otago work. Uh, Firstly, that uh, all people at male survivors are survivors themselves. So that puts them in a very good stead regarding talking to other people on the subject or about other things. The other thing is um, we operate on a system of peer support and under our training we use the, the peer model of working with people alongside them. Whereas when people generally talk about counsellors and even more so it is definitely in place when you're dealing with a doctor or a psychologist or psychiatrist they're in a clinical position and you know I am I am the doctor you are the you are the the client I'm the nurse you're the patient etc etc whereas we walk alongside the men and uh, they make all the decisions we can only offer advice but walking, walking alongside them with their journey, that's what we do, and that relieves... Can you, can you um, explain that a bit more? So um, 
Mr. X comes to you and and for the first time is unburdening himself of this experience. When you say walking alongside, my imagination, um, and because you're a survivor yourself, you are immediately empathetic to what's happened and you see links to what you've experienced in the way that you've dealt with it or didn't deal with it. What does walking alongside actually mean? Well, we offer multifaceted support for them. So, as you said, it could be a clinical psychologist, it could be a, a counsellor, it could be uh, uh, helping them with uh, some aspect of the life outside the subject. Yep. which they need help with. So all of those things. And, and and I know that you are supporting people appearing before the Royal Commission as well. Yes, that's correct. So yeah. y- you would be perhaps being with them at the Royal Commission? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yes, I've been with many men. Yeah. And um, the Royal Commission is something that um, I personally support and um, encourage. I was on the advisory group to the Royal Commission when it started uh, and have been involved in many aspects of it, its working working policies from then through till now Um, and we look to the end result of that next year. Um, Now if you you didn't exist as a service, do you think many of the witnesses that have appeared before the Royal Commission would be appearing unless you had been there beside them? Uh, definitely not. No. And it's, yeah, it's especially seen in the early days of the Royal Commission uh, last year. They were not doing a very good job um, publicly getting it out there, what is happening with the Commission, and making it awareness in the community. So that hasn't helped. Uh, but it is slowly, it is slowly happening. Now, when people come in... They know who we are, what we are, and and it does have an effect, them knowing that we are survivors. It, it, it relaxes them it re- uh, immediately, and they get a sense of belonging, that they're in the right place. So we cover a, cro- a lot of bases very quickly compared with somebody walking off the street to see a counsellor for the first time. Uh, we... we we hit the ground running in a lot of ways and gain traction very, very fast. We do not have to go through a process of meeting with a guy for two months to get to know him. No. My experience, and I think it's it's important to, to share it with the listeners, was I, I phoned Lifeline when I was at a major point of despair. They suggested I come to your service. I took that offer and came and met you after I'd phoned. And one of the things I noted about you was you didn't immediately get out a notebook and start making notes about what I was saying. You sat and listened to me and you talked to me. So I was not experiencing that sort of formality immediately where there was a barrier between myself and you. Um, I think that was a major difference in my experience of reaching out for help. I was not being dealt with as a clinical case. I was being dealt with as a person 
and I was being responded to by a person who immediately identified as somebody who had experienced abuse themselves. And I think that was a very powerful message for me to receive. So clearly um, that is one of the models that you are continuing to use and I believe would be very effective for those oh. you help. <laughs> I'm very humbled by your words. Um, thank you very much. Well, it was a very powerful emotional time for me and if you want to talk about triggers those experiences will never leave me I've had good experiences and I've had bad experiences but that was a very good experience and I think the listeners need to know that that is what you offer you offer first of all a person who sits down and is transparent and honest about their own experiences, their own failings, their own difficulties, and their own struggles. And to me, I'm immediately feeling safe with you. So if my experience is common, and I think it is, as to the service you provide, it, it is making a huge difference for people. Nice. Now, now, Michael, how do you get funding? Where does the money come from? Well, um, initially we struggled and struggled and that's why we never had a home in Dunedin. And that's another reason why people did not really know we existed because we were operating in the community and if we had to run a group meeting, we would hire a room and have the meeting. Um, so it's, we're now just coming into our second year only of having our own premises here at uh, South Dunedin above cash converters and it's working out very, very well. Um, and having the various offices and that, it's working at trend. And the, mon the money comes from? The money, okay. We were hand-to-mouth, um, so we are a, a, we are a trust, and we do go to different um, areas for, for funding, but in, uh, in recent times... We're now getting bulk funding from MSD, Ministry of Social Development. Right. So your service is sustainable. You see it um, surviving for some time with this yeah. funding. Um, are you looking for more volunteers? Are you looking for others to come and support you in the work you do? Uh, are you overwhelmed with volunteers helping you? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, oh, when sorry, not at all overwhelmed. Um, yes, we would welcome volunteers, and there's different um, areas of our work. And your preference would be for somebody who has experienced abuse? Yes, um, on the basis of uh, Male Survivors Otago, and uh, we, we have another platform where we do work with the homeless. That seems like another interview, Michael. We have finished our time together again. It does go so quickly, uh, which I did warn you about. Um, these interviews I find so interesting because the new, what I'm learning is new to me and therefore I believe it will be absolutely 100% new to the listeners. 
Michael Chamberlain, manager of male survivors in Dunedin South, above cash converters. Thank you so much for what you've shared with me today and the listeners on Outrageous on 105.4 FM. That's it for now, and I hope to bring you another very interesting guest next time that you hear me. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. Otipoti Collective Against Sexual Abuse supports people of any gender who are survivors of sexual violence and their supporters, including friends and whānau, to progress towards healing. You can contact them on 474-1592 or visit their website okasa.org.nz That's O-C-A-S-A dot However, if you or anyone else is in danger, call 111. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.